Welcome to Nevermore Podcast. Nevermore Podcast is the official podcast of the Three Little Sisters Publishing House. The Three Little Sisters supports independent authors who focus on the importance of stories. For over six years, we have focused on books that matter. With our pub- passion for publishing, we have released over 16 titles with tons more to come. Support independent publishers that put authors first by purchasing one of our titles at www.the3littlesisters.com. Uh, today's podcast, I'm going to throw up a little slight warning here. This podcast episode may not be safe for work as we are going to be t- discussing why sex sells. So get a little bit of steamy on as I bring on our creative director, Sarah Strickland, and our executive coordinator, Gielle Mion Baruby. And I'm Larissa Hunter, and we're about to get our groove on. Hello, ladies, and welcome to this amazing podcast where we're going to see how this works. (laughs) This is going to be interesting. Yeah, which might be a little rated R, but uh, we're going to discuss erotica and really how to write it properly and also exploring, you know, why it is we're so fascinated with books that have such sexualized content. So that's what we're going to be sort of discussing today in general. I don't know who wants to kick this off, but... Uh... I guess the erotica writer should kick it off. Though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Sheila is uh, well known for her uh, erotic writing. Yes. yes. Uh, I have sisters that have told me that I should come to Jesus, apparently, because of it. <laughs> um, yes, I've been writing erotica since... Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't want to come off as a pervert, but since I was a teenager. Uh, you know, teenagers, high hormones being the person that I am. Um, erotica it doesn't necessarily have to be um, smutty either, for one thing. Um, a lot of people think that erotica writers are smutty, perverted, maybe just a little bit perverted. Yes, we are slightly perverted, but not like what people think. To write erotica, excuse me, um, I'm getting all excited here. Um, <laughs> Writing erotica is definitely a skill set. Um, I've come across erotica that is absolutely horrid. And um, during our break between episodes, yes, uh, Woman Garden does not sit well for erotica. Please don't call it manhood. Um, a lot of people who start out with erotica don't realize that, yes, you can use those words like... Um, the the words that you're going to hear in porn, but not the way porn uses it, you know. Anatomically um, correct wording. Yeah. Penis, <laughs> vagina. Actually, vagina and vulva are two different things, folks. So let's, but let's not get into an anatomy 101 course here. Um, you can use the word cock, but you can use it either poorly or you can use it either very well. Uh, it's 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 a fine line though right so if you're gonna say things like you know oh he shoved his penis into her vagina you know without the details the the workup the the lead to that's what women like the most is the lead to because you got to play with their mind before you play with their bodies right yeah i think there's definitely like a build-up um you know that's why Harley Quinn romances did so well. And um, because there was this, you know, everybody wants to be whisked away to some romantic retreat where somebody's just going to, you know, worship every crevice of your body, even if that crevice may be, you know, slightly cracked. So, you know, I mean, it's, 
I think women, whether you're in a, a committed, you know, heterosexual relationship or whether you're in a lesbian relationship or whether you're poly or what, whatever your sexuality is, whatever you prefer, I, I think we all want to be in a relationship that feels like we're being worshipped in a way or at least be honored and respected. So I like books where it's not really... Um, direct or to the point but more like skirting around the edges where it's more romanticism uh the person's taking their time to build up to this event and it's just slow uh, you know it's like slow soft core you know that's my preference but obviously as i will discuss later uh, that's not necessarily what i have figured out that my mind is capable of writing so uh soft <laughs> soft subtle uh, you know drapes moving kind of thing is where i prefer my you know erotica to sit so that's where you prefer to read it's not quite necessarily where you prefer to write yeah i prefer to read it or that type of film too like i'm not really like eh, I, I don't really prefer to watch a lot of uh, you know uh, sexuality on the screen I, I find like a lot of times it kind of perverts the beautiful nature of independent relationships that where things are not like that women don't behave like that our bodies don't do those sort of things and so there's this you know it, it kind of grotesques an act that i feel is kind of somewhat sacred to me i tend to uh, that's just the way i feel yeah. like i don't i'm not judging like no no i wanna... agree with you as an erotica writer that porn in itself is a skewed sense of reality of what sex and sexual contact and uh relationships sexual relationships are it's a complete skewed reality of it uh, that's not what sex is that's a, a convoluted idea of it not to knock any of the porn stars that are out there that do a good job at their job you know there is a i wouldn't say need for it but there is a niche for it so i'm not knocking them their jobs it's just that's not what reality is and i think they know that like there's a show on netflix called life after porn and they they express how like this is not reality right like porn is not meant to reflect real relationships it's it is the it is the base acts that it, that's all it is it is it's for personal relief like it's what you watch when you're alone or maybe you watch it as a couple i don't care well you do you do you boo but um uh you know whatever you're watching it for that this is not how most people have have sex in their home like that's there's not a film crew I you know, oh, thank God, there's I not know. a film crew. <laughs> Wait, I'm looking around my room right now, but no, there's no like, there's no like, there's no. You know what I'm trying to say? It's not it, that. Well, maybe is not, not in your house, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> there might be a camcorder in the corner. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not supposed to reflect real, real relationships and real love. This is, you know, it's just, it's just sex, and that's that's what it is, and it's fine. And that's if you want to watch that fine go ahead i i don't care i've watched porn and that doesn't matter to me I'm, I, I'm not judging anyone from watching it i just don't prefer i don't prefer to see it like all the time and i find like porn is a little bit better to watch than you know fakey tv weird whatever they're doing i don't know what it is but you know like weird like half sex where it's like you only see their 
boobs and I'm like, I don't know what bum. they're doing. Yeah. yeah it's like <laughs> the bum with their legs, they're weird, you know, and weird positions that look like they're just lying down on each other, like not doing and those anything. Poor male actors that have to wear the penis sock. I oh. feel so yeah. bad for them. Or like they have to wear like nude underwear because naked. And like, I understand that's not the venue for it. I just yeah. like, what's the point of putting it? Like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary to show people. Like, we all know what you're doing in the bedroom. We, we got it. We're all like, grown <laughs> adults, and most, well, most of us are grown yeah. adults and can adults. And there's definitely a difference between corporal sex, like you know, physical, corporal, very primal sex, which I think a lot of porn tries to do, and then the emotional connected sex. There's two. Those are two different things. Yeah, totally different. Like you know, there's a difference between like Fabio type, you know trapes moving and some guy taking you up on a mountaintop or whatever and like that you know like the come hither stare yeah the ripping off your you know your your laces or stays on the bed and... yeah yeah <laughs> candles and, you know yeah, it's not my type of erotica yeah. <laughs> birds suddenly descend to drop on you like soft sheets or whatever like this. and the trumpet like, sound yeah <laughs> and we all have explosions <laughs> yeah and i think it's somewhat disappointing because when you get into a real real committed relationship and if you don't your first time you don't have that big oh there's this big disappointment because it's just this idea that you're supposed to and that everybody just has one all the time like 24 hours a day and we're just fucking around like (laughs) yeah and that's not reality like it's not uh uh, most people don't experience big o's at all um so it's it's completely normal if you don't and and i think just the way sexuality is presented is weird and i I think that has a lot to do with like the somewhat puritan mindset that seems to permeate most of the western cultures um because you know it's sex is perceived as this weird dirty thing that you do with doors locked and the windows closed and the lights out and nobody wants to know what you do there (laughs) um so that's just what I see when I think about, you know, erotica in terms of like what I read or what I watch. I don't prefer it to get nitty gritty like that because I know that there's a subset of things that I could watch that have that in it. So I don't really need it as a like a third outlet for me to have that experience. And I think that might be why porn and erotica in general do so well. Uh, because I mean, you know, let's 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 face it, they do. Uh, you know, I mean, look at Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, you know, it, these books and these movies, they do kind of help with that very conservative view that people still really do have about sex. So when you're watching these or when you're reading these books, you're sort of breaking that taboo. You know, you're peeking inside of this world that you don't necessarily always get to look at, and there's that bit of excitement you know, of, oh, this is dirty, but let me look at it. Yeah, and I think that uh, especially, like, probably very conservative people could get away with reading erotica where they can't necessarily watch porn. You know, right. like, there's there's a line where it's like, well, it's not it's not porn. It's erotic, but it's not. Right. <laughs> you know, like, there's, like, but a... There's dialogue. <laughs> right, right. It, it's not, I'm not watching, I'm not watching anything, because it's eluding, too. It's not necessarily direct acts. So you're talking about like it eludes to something, Mm -hmm. something's happening and you're putting that something in your mind, whatever it is you want to put there. So 
it, it, it's like, you know, I, I think of the line from, um, oh, what is the name of the guy that's the lead sister, the lead singer of Twisted Sister? He appeared in a, a congressional hearing on music. Um, and he told one of the senators there, I believe it was Al Gore or something, where Al Gore said, well, in your music, I, you know, something's perceived as being very sexual. And he was like, well, that's because you thought it was there. Right. And it's like, just because if you perceive it one way, you're going to perceive that, you know, something happens. But you're talking about that may or may not be true. Yeah, thank you. So he, he made this kind of statement like, it's it's how you hear it is what you're looking for and so i think that erotica kind of allows people to maybe explore things to a point uh, maybe people that don't have access to or would not want to watch porn or object to porn for whatever reason it's, it's a way to have a piece of it but not all of it um and it might give you a sense of longing for something that you may not have in your life um if you're an unsatisfied partner uh, erotica could provide a service to you to your mentally to allow you to engage um with your partner perhaps on a on a different level you might have to take yourself somewhere mentally to make your relationship um you know, solid. A lot of people don't have relationships on every level, whether it's matching sexually, mentally, physically, whatever. So if you're, if you love the person, but maybe your sex life is not that fantastic, or you want to spice it up a bit, erotica could be a way for couples to give themselves, you know, a sense of something like a fantasy. Um, that's a healthy fantasy mm-hmm. and not, you know, interrupt their whatever perception they have of an unhealthy fantasy you know exactly um also too it's it's like what i said just earlier um for a lot of women it's it's you have to play with their mind before you play with their body uh the mind is the most powerful and for some men too you have to play with their mind before you play with their body um a lot of people need that mental uh, acuity, that mental scene in their head before they can, you know, get revved up. And mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, people don't realize that, you know, just as much as women aren't on all the time, neither are men. Men aren't on all the time 24-7. They need a little bit of a revving up. Uh, erotica isn't just for women. And a lot of men don't realize that erotica stories, there are, is a niche that is geared to them. And I, and I love the niche now that's also geared to, you know, the, the gay, lesbian, trans community. Yeah. Now there's a lot more uh, erotica that's based on non-heterosexual relationships. And I absolutely think that that is essential. And it could allow people who might be confused about their sexuality have access to stuff to to, to explore basically right, before to explore. they actually physically right. explore if they're worried exactly. or frightened of how they're feeling at least you know they have written words that you know they can explore and investigate before they actually go out and say that yes yeah, so this is what does it for me Right. And where, where I think it crosses the line is when erotica gets violent. And that's where I do not enjoy it. At all. To me, erot- good erotica should be consensual, should be meaningful and provide you with some ability to explore concepts that you might be personally 
uh, unaware of or just trying to understand in your own self, whether that's your sexuality or expanding your sexual repertoire, let's say, uh, erotica should be the gateway to that instead of presenting it as a uh, an abusive, controlling, uh, unhealthy expression of human sexuality. That I do not enjoy books that use erotica almost There's in also a horrific a way. Huge yeah. difference between BDSM and yes. violent yeah. sex. There's there are a few areas that I don't cross when when it comes to erotica writing. That is exactly what you stated. Violence, rape for the sake of rape is absolutely a no go for me. Incestual mm -hmm. situations, absolutely not. Um, anything that involves a minor, minors cannot give consent. It should not be done in writing. It should not be done face to face. It's, it's just a no go. Pedophilia right. is an absolute no for me, a hard no, along with the incest and the rape for the sake of rape. Now, BDSM. Being someone that has experienced BDSM, um, you mentioned Fifty Shades, Sarah. A horrible, yeah. horrible, horrible example <laughs> of horrible BDSM. example of BDSM. I mean, it's just hugely. The entire hugely community horrible. was so was so furious with how it was portrayed in that book. I'm, I still am absolutely. Like, I won't watch the movies. I haven't read it. I haven't watched it. I have no interest. I, I will watched not. Stupid. I read the first book and I was so furious with how it was portrayed. It was, you know, if you're into this fetish lifestyle, you're broken. There's something wrong with how you love. There's something, it was just so, and you know, the main character is so controlling and he's so, you know, possessive and it was all so unhealthy. And that's not what Dom sub is no. at all. Actually, no. it's based purely on the purest form of trust. And I but think I, th that... I think that's the puritanism that comes through there. Like the perception is like well, people who use whips or or uh, they just don't understand it. So it's they're looking at it from a lens of like, well, that's weird, and you're some subspecies, and you know it's because people like you wouldn't know that your really nice next door neighbors probably have a BDSM dungeon in their basement. You know, right. I mean, it's just not a, not a thing. Like, and I think that's why fetish erotica is so popular, but so necessary as well, because it gives you that glimpse into what that life actually is. And you can see that, you know, Hey, this is a normal person. There's nothing wrong with them mentally that, you know, it's, this is just kind of what they prefer to do. And then it also kind of gives you a safe space to, you know, read about the activities and see, you know, what these different fetishes are in a very safe environment where you can stop reading if something crosses the line. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, I really always wished as a person that there was a big manual of explaining all of these different things. Like, almost a chapter on each of them. So you could have, you know, people that um, do practice BDSM safely could explain it. You know, what is pansexual? That would be nice to have an explanation of, you know, what are these different things? Because I think honestly, finding information on this stuff is really hard. And, and there, are, there are tons of books out there on BDSM that are absolutely amazing that anybody who wants to know anything about it, there's a book called Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns. 
that will tell you everything you've ever wanted to know. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, Sarah, <laughs> is there something we should know about you? <laughs> <laughs> research, people. It's research. Yeah, right. right. It's research. Yeah. Am yeah, I not? Um, I'm not the only erotica writer sitting in this <laughs> podcast, am I? I've tried, and the, hence the research. But I suck at it. I suck at writing sex scenes, love scenes. I can write about people killing each other, but I cannot write about people like, you know, doing anything romantic. It's a practice skill. I swear yeah. it is. Or you can just accidentally start typing and it just comes out. <laughs> right. Or someone could pull it out of you writing a book together. Yeah, maybe. Something in my brain would just stop. Like, no, no, we can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, see me I, it's gonna sound really weird but like I am a totally weird prude and like I won't I, I have a hard time expressing myself with anything so like to me even talking about this is like my face is partially red because like <laughs> for me like uh, sexuality has not come easily I, in my uh, you know my ability to be me or be free with my my own expressions has been really hard and even though I have watched porn and have read a lot of erotica stuff it writing it or or facing it uh, like has been really difficult like I'll read it but I'll be like woo and uh, embarrassed <laughs> like you know my face will go red and I'm like like what are you reading I'm like oh, I don't know <laughs> and it, it's it's hard for me because like half of our authors have like sex scenes in their book and I'm like oh no no rated R um, guess who gets to edit it it's not Larissa that ed edits those ones she usually tosses those ones to me well I get I have a hard time with it like it it really and it you know struggles that's okay yeah. yeah that's okay yeah. that you have a hard time with it because with your personal life experiences uh, and I'm not going to get into detail because it's not my right to but I mean you have to go off of the experiences that you've gone off of. I have some of the same similar experiences as you do personally. And you know what, when you're in a certain, you know, point in your life, you'll find that balance eventually. Yeah. Like I, I grew up pretty conservative. I was raised as the, in the, the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses. So for me, like sex was not a thing that anyone even did. I'm pretty sure babies were born in pods or something. Like nobody <laughs> talked about it. Nobody, yeah, nobody <laughs> talked about it. Nobody. I mean, definitely, you could not be gay or lesbian. Like that was just not even an option. So, like, to for me, I grew up in a world where this was just never was talked about, and you know, I just never experienced anything like that. And when I got older and went out into the world. Uh, that's when my first experiences happened, but a lot of them were weird or uncomfortable because I had it in my head that this was not something I was supposed to be doing. So I was, I was always in inner conflict until, you know, I got married and then with my partner, like he's enabled me to be a little bit more free with myself, but it was being in a loving, committed relationship that brought out to me a, a comfort level that. I don't think was previously there, but and I was, I, no, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Um, I was raised in a similar experience as you were um, with a little bit of a twist. Uh, I went to Catholic school straight from preschool to right to graduating into college. College was the first time that it was a public school, uh, a polytechnique as us Quebecers would call it, or a technical college. 
um, being bisexual in the Catholic school system uh, was uh, difficult to say the least. Um, it was not something that you talked about. It was not something that you advertised. And if someone found out, guess what? You were shunned because, well, in Catholicism, that is one of the absolute sins is apparently worse than the seven cardinal sins to be either gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or pansexual, or anything other than straight. So it was, I, I can understand where you're coming from. And when I finally bloomed was when I met a woman in college and it was it was my spread my wings moment and then uh it wasn't a really a, uh, a relationship that was fruitful in the end but it taught me a lot and then i met jeff which is my husband the mobile sounds uh owner <clears throat> Um, and 20 years later, it's, it's that committed relationship that gave me the opportunity to be whatever or however I should be. And that's me. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, being somewhat reserved, but I used erotica to escape that reservation. And I did watch porn to discover what possibly was out there uh, in terms of like, how to express my own sexuality and I knew what I didn't want and what I wanted and it allowed me some freedom to feel at least somewhat liberated from what I perceived was a prison almost. Um, so it kind of broke my mind into the possibilities that existed outside of this very conservative upbringing that I grew up in. But what really pushed me further was last year when we took the opportunity to write the bone jar uh, I wrote it with Sheil, and that pushed me farther than I thought I was capable of. And I've often said to my husband, I was shocked. I shocked myself because when I started writing it, I didn't realize that I was capable of writing um, sex, sex scenes like that or expressing sexuality like that. And uh, for anybody who hasn't read it, they should because it's extremely dark um, and twisted. And I was able to give part of myself that I think was hidden away for a long time, uh, a voice. And that enabled me to deal with a lot of personal issues that I had and reservations that I had. And I think erotica can be like that for some people when you start writing it, it can be a way to express a lot of your pain uh, getting out a lot of your reservations, maybe expressing tra childhood trauma or adult trauma that's, that you've had can be expressed in more. Uh, you can either, you can go way horror with it and, and express it and let go of it, or you can express it in more positive ways to turn your experience, bad experience good. So I think it can be used as a tool in an almost a therapeutic type setting to kind of get over what you might be carrying around inside. And Absolutely. You know. And I would say it's a multi-tool, not just one singular tool, but a multi-tool. It's so multifaceted how you can use erotica writing or reading, either way. Um, 
to not only for a therapeutic sense or, you know, you get to control that environment too. You have the ultimate control by either stopping or starting reading or stopping and starting writing or, you you know, you get to control the flow of that. So yeah. if you can't finish it, you can leave it. It's good. Okay, I'm good right here. That's where my my limit is right now and maybe I can come back to it later. So you get to get the ultimate control. The power is in the reader or the writer's hand. Absolutely. Exactly. So with that in mind, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our dive in why sex sells, the importance of erotica in books and what that really means. As you've been hearing, we've been really honing in on why it's important to have um, a positive view of erotica and not see it as a taboo and what taboos it sort of breaks. So we're going to continue the conversation after the break. In April, we published These Chains by Tabitha Todd, the story of a man in his own words who overcomes male child sexual assault. And Junked, when James comes home to mama and little sister so he can detox from crack cocaine addiction, he gets way more than he bargained for. Both books are available on our website in ebook and print at www.the3.com littlesisters.com. That's the number three, littlesisters.com. And we're back. So continuing our talk on um, why sex sells or erotica, I guess in general, sort of, um, I'm going to address some of the authors that we have in the publishing house are incredibly gifted at writing sex scenes in a way that uh, I feel is very tasteful. Um, uh, except, uh, in addition to Sheil being the executive coordinator, she's also an author and uh, has written a lot of books that have erotica in them. And I find that your writing is very tasteful and not going too far. So in that terms of erotica, I don't mind reading it at all. And I find it extremely good to read. Um, but in addition to you, Stephen Grundy, who has written Maeve's Raid, Beowulf, and as Cadolfer Gunderson read Teutonic Magic, has an amazing ability to write sex scenes. Like his. I thought I could write a sex scene. Stephen <laughs> can write a sex scene that leaves you going, I want more. That man is talented at writing a sex scene. I need and so to is... take a lesson from him. <laughs> and so is his wife, Melody. So Melody is working on a project. Um, about the priestess of Atlantis. And she also writes is writing this other book called The Woman at the Loom. And it is very steamy. And I loved it. I read the first little bit of it and I was like, oh my goodness, I need to read more of this. I was very hot in the face when I was reading the <laughs> uh so they are very gifted um at writing erotica and I think people in the publishing house who want to take a good lesson at writing sex scenes should definitely pick up one of their books. They are very good at the buildup and also using uh, alliterative words to indicate what's going on. So a lot of, they use a lot of metaphors and the metaphors are very clear what they're talking about, but they are good. Like they talk about, you know, like these sweet, sticky honey words. It's just glorious. And you know what's going on, but it's almost like you feel it from your gut first and then it moves into your heart and then you start feeling flushed and they're really good about the building up. So I highly recommend 
uh, them as a, a metric to kind of learn how to write erotica. But Sheila, you take the cake in the in the number three position because your books do deal with erotica in a very clean way. I, I'm using that word broadly, but I mean more like um, it's just they're very nice and they're not like violent. And when you do use, um, you know, forced interactions, it's it's not in a grotesque way. So I think that a lot of authors could learn from that as well. When you're writing erotica, what is your advice to not take it too far? Like, where, what would you say to authors of when to kind of draw the line of when it starts going into more like porn? Well, definitely. It's um, obviously a matter of perspective for a lot of people. But what you need to do is not write in what you're comfortable with. Uh, I am extremely comfortable with the word sex and anything to do with sex. So what I would write for myself isn't necessarily what I would write for someone else. Uh, it's always about the end person who's going to read it, right? Uh, if it's someone, if I'm writing something for, say, um, you two, you, Sarah and Larissa, I know for a fact that, you know, I've got to tone it down a bit and, you know, lead up to it and not use a very dark or, you know, power struggle type situations. Um, rape should never be written about as you know a gratuitous rape or violence as gratuitous violence now there has been situations where it hasn't resulted in rape in one of well i am working on a trilogy um but it hasn't resulted in rape but the woman was saved by someone else before it happened now that kind of writing i that's my borderline right there is you don't cross that line where it's gratuitous if you're doing gratuitous, it's just, it, it becomes almost too much. Like, you know, it's not, it's hard to explain. It's, it's not something that you want to do because then you're going to lose your reader and they're going to say, oh God, you know, this, this person is just too much. I, I, I can't, there's no control for the reader. Yeah. And do you think that as an erotic writer who, who probably can answer this, that we are not saying that, like, we're not glorifying rape, right? Like, oh, absolutely not. Right, right, right. Like, anyone who's been raped, like, because we have people in the company that have experienced that, um, we are not 100% not endorsing that kind of crap. We, we don't support it. But when it comes to writing, we separate our personal beliefs out of the writing. Because... For example, if you're writing horror, you might have a character that is that is raped or abused or something. Like, if it builds look, off yeah. of their character and for the reason of the plot itself, and it adds to that, and that's the that's you know that's part of the plot, and it's not gratuitous, then yes, you can write about it, but be mindful about it too. And only write what, gonna say, what yeah. you know, right, because yeah. I've written what I know. I'll tell you now, I'm not afraid to say it. I'm a CSA. I'm a childhood sexual assault survivor. So I know I'm writing what I know when I write those scenes. Right. So I think that's what exactly you hit the point on the head, being mindful and not using it as a grotesque, um, consistent act that is happening all the time for glorification purposes. But when used in context, if 
you come at it from the spirit of um, this is facilitating a plot point, you might have to use uncomfortable things. And I think people should remember that when they're uh, embarking on writing erotica or reading erotica. You might face things in these books that are uncomfortable for you. But the writer is not glorifying these things. They are writing it for, for a specific purpose, oftentimes to manage or maintain some sort of plot. And definitely and find... Oh. Go, go ahead, sir. Um, I was going to say that I think a lot of it, too, is the language that's used in those scenes versus a scene where you're trying to convey that both people are more than happy to be doing this. You know, there's a there's there's different language that you would use in a scene where somebody is being raped that would allow a person to understand, look, we're not saying this is a good thing, but this is in here for a reason. You know what right. I mean? Yes, there's definitely a differentiation between the the language and the feel of the language when it comes to a rape scene that is for the plot and not gratuitous and right. consenting adults. Yeah, this is not fodder for incels. So, um, right. you know, and I, what I was about to say was also find yourself somebody that you can bounce the these scenes off of that you know won't be offended and will be able to outright tell you, okay, this is too much, and isn't mm -hmm. afraid to tell you, oh, you need to edit this a bit, or you know, this is a bit too much. Find someone, a partner that can do that for you. Right. And so I think with that in mind, we are going to uh, just take a quick break and then wrap up this conversation. And um, yeah, um, just remember that the Three Little Sisters now has a page dedicated to where you can find us uh, in public. Melody and Stephen Grundy will be attending Worldcon in Dublin in August, and I will be attending the Muscles, Mutts, and Meows Car Show in Santa Monica, California. If you come by and say hi and take a selfie with me, I will give you a wonderfully free gift, all from the Three Little Sisters, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is. But you can definitely stop by, pick up a copy of one of our books. Also, feel free to donate to the SPCA. We'll be collecting donations to help them continue their legacy of caring for animals that are often abandoned in very poor conditions. Remembering to spay and neuter your animals is a very important part of keeping the animal population under control. And remember, adoption is for life. And when we come back, we'll be wrapping up the conversation. And we are back to wrap up the conversation of erotica, sex, and selling. And wow, what a hot episode we have had, ladies. We've mm -hmm. talked about everything from saying, um certain acts in responsible and mindful ways to what really uh, erotica means to us and what it has helped us with, what it's helped facilitate. So in all that in mind, what are some of the last little bits of guidance that we would like to give to people who are um, maybe just coming into the uh, erotic type genre? I want to back up for a second too. I had mentioned that um, write what you know, um, and if you don't know it, if you want to write about it, find someone who knows about it and actually do your research like what Sarah did when she did the BDSM research and mm -hmm. find someone to talk to. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a victim per se. It can be a counselor that works with victims. Um, if you want to write about it, research. 
research, research, research. Just don't go willy nilly and right off the deep end without, you know, your water wings, so to speak. And Sarah, what do you think? What is your um, well, I, you know, touching back up on the topic of why, why erotica is important is, you know, it, again, it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice little window into a world that you might be curious about. Um, but definitely, you know, do your research because if, you know, your readers are going to know when you're, when you're just as clueless as they are. And it's going to make it very difficult for them to get into the storyline. So just, yeah, definitely do your, do your research, you know, talk to people. There's plenty of forums online that you can poke around in and learn some stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, my last piece of advice is, yeah, just don't be afraid to ask questions. I find that most people who um, are into something are not afraid to answer questions. Like I don't know what pansexual really means. And my daughter was asking me questions about it and I didn't know how to question because I'm not pansexual. How am I supposed to know? So I reached out to people who were to get answers. And most communities out there are very willing to answer correct questions directly. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to go and like interview gay guys. If you're writing a gay romance, like don't be afraid to go talk to lesbians. If you're writing lesbian scenes, like don't be afraid to go talk to like, these people are very open about themselves and you find people that have no issue at all and you interviewing or asking questions and to, to make those experiences appropriate. Although I would say that in all honesty, straight people should probably try to stay in their lane way and not <laughs> write what they don't know. And if you're straight, don't really write gay romance because you probably have no idea really how that culture works. Or how those relationships are really formed. May I so, bring up Fifty Shades, dude? Exactly. <laughs> don't write that. Don't do Fifty Shades <laughs> if you don't know Fifty Shades. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> leave it alone. That's very. And you know what? Advice. If you want to write straight, if you're straight and you write straight erotica, all the power to you. I'm gonna read it because I like all forms of erotica. Except for my, you know, line in the sand, of course. But it, I love straight erotica. I love bisexual erotica. I like gay erotica. I like it all. Just yeah. write. That's all I can give you as advice. Write. Try it out if yep. you want to try it out. Take a swing at it. You'll never know until you do. Exactly. And with that in mind, we would like to uh, remind everyone about the two books by Stephen Grundy, The Maze Reigned. And um, Beowulf both have an intense amount of relationships within them. And if you want to get your grip on how to write erotica, grab one of his amazing novels or one of the ones from Tabitha Todd. All of them are available on our website at www.the3littlesisters.com. That's the number three, littlesisters.com. We hope you've had a great time on this podcast and we hope you'll join us again uh, next month and uh, when we'll be revealing the theme of that closer to the end of July. So with all that mon, we hope you have a great summer, everyone. Remember to take time, grab a book and do some beachside reading. Have a great day, everyone. And that's it for us.